This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Well, I have the privilege today of introducing Joshua and Julie. So as they make their way down here, Joshua is our, uh, he's the firstborn of the second batch. We have two batches of children. We have an older batch and a younger batch. Joshua is the firstborn of the second batch. Yeah, there he is right there. And when he was born, um, I looked over at him in the delivery room, and the Lord said, he's a mighty man of God. You can hold his hand if you want. He's a mighty man of God. The Lord told me that. And when he was a little fella, I mean real little, he used to watch uh, PBS public broadcasting. I don't recommend that for everything, but. They would have the symphony orchestra on there, and he would sit there glued to the symphony when he was a little fella. And he would beat on drums and all kinds of stuff. So when he was a little fella, he had a little drum set, and he had guitars and such. When he was, so, you know, this is a key to you parents that are young. Watch what your kids do. Watch what they gravitate to, and then you lead them. You grow them up in the way that they are attracted to. So he was always attracted to music. So when we pastored in Indiana, he was on our youth praise team, right? Right. Then you were on our, you forgot about it, didn't you? And then, I did too until the Holy Ghost reminded me. And then you were on uh, the senior praise team at our church. And then he was on the praise team at uh, Spring Hill Christian Center in Mooresville, Indiana. And then he moved to Denver, Colorado, and he was on the praise team and Thrive up there. But before he did that in Indiana, he and... Ben Thomas, Ben was here one day. We ought to have him back just for the fun of it. You know what I mean? Anyway, he, these guys are crazy together. But they were in a Christian band called Singled Out. And then he also prayed for an older jazz-type Christian band called Rock Prophets, right? So, huh? You forgot all that, but the Lord didn't. He was reminding me of that this morning. So anyway, he is now he's here, you know. I was so glad when, when they called us one day and they said, the Lord wants us to move from Denver here. And so they came, and boy, oh, boy, are we happy that they did. Are you happy they're here? Amen, 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 amen. Joshua is an ordained minister. He's uh, went through Bible school up in Denver and all that kind of cool stuff. Julie is also a SMTI graduate, and she met, they met each other in Denver. She's from Texas, but the Lord worked it all out so that, she went up there to te- to throw to the uh, master's commission. He went to master's commission, and the Lord put them together. And now they're married, and they're over the marriage ministry, over the financial ministry, and they have three beautiful sons, and maybe some more another day, right? Maybe a daughter next time. Who knows? So I want to introduce to you Joshua and Julie Samples. Well, thank you, Mom, for those kind words. Uh, you know, uh, and I, she was saying a bunch of stuff, and I couldn't even remember half of it. But, the, you know, the part I do remember is uh, I remember that drum set they got me when I was a little kid. Uh, and it was the coolest thing. I was a little boy, and I had this awesome drum set, and I was practicing, and I was I was starting to get pretty good, I thought. I don't know. Probably Mom and Dad probably didn't think so. But, uh, yeah, the, well... We won't go there. Just kidding. They, the, they forgot to finish the rest of that story. Uh, I was slowly progressing and becoming what potentially, since I had such an early start, I potentially could have been the world's greatest drummer. Uh, but what happened was one day my, 
uh, dear sweet little brother, Pastor Dave over here, decided he wanted to get something off of the top shelf in, in the playroom. And so he gets on my precious drum set and climbs on top of it and breaks my, smashes my whole drum set to smithereens. And yeah. And so. <laughs> Let's just get, he wasn't that good. And so, <laughs> I did the world a favor that day, okay? I thought I was doing pretty good. I don't, but, you know, I was only, what, two, three, four at that time, and I'm, what, I just turned 36. Imagine if I'd had 30 years, some years of practice, how good I would be at the drums. So on Sunday mornings, we'd start every service with a drum solo, I mean. Just kidding. Uh, yeah, huh, fine. I'll give it up. I'll, I'll stick to the piano. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's my drum story. Anytime mom brings that up, it it brings back bitter memories that that I have to yeah, eleven. Um, well, uh, well, let's go ahead and get right into it. I want to do something a little bit different today. I'm going to read a we're going to read a passage of scripture. Um, and if you want, if you don't mind, I'd have us all stand up and we're going to read this whole passage to, uh, together. I'll read it to you. But let's all stand together and read this. It's in uh, Matthew chapter. Oh, uh, and Pastor reminded me. If you need a, uh, an outline for the message, the ushers can can uh, hook you up so you can follow along. Just raise your hands, and the ushers will uh, be by shortly to hook you up with an outline. Uh, but let's. Uh, we're going to read Matthew chapter 25 together. And uh, we'll start uh, in verse number 14. Matthew 25, verse 14. This is known as the parable of the talents. Uh, and there's a couple of hands back in the back still ushers, so we'll get those. But I'm going to go ahead and read this to us real quick. It says, Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last one dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who decided, uh, who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver uh, also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Uh, and then in verse 22 and 23, it does the same thing with the servants with the two bags. But let's skip down to verse 24. It says, Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why 
Didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Father God, in Jesus' name, as we get ready to to go into this message today, I just ask that you would help Julie and I to be led by your Holy Spirit. Help us to to speak your words of truth, Lord God, and and any words that are not yours, we ask that they just fall to the ground, Lord God, so that only your word remains, because your word always uh, accomplishes everything that it's set out to do, Lord God. It never returns back to us void. So help uh, everyone in the congregation to have attentive hearts, attentive minds, and uh and just uh, ultimately that you receive honor and glory from everything that goes on in this service today. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. Um, so as I was reading this uh, this story, it, it becomes quite obvious that this master was not at all happy uh, with the servant who mismanaged the funds, who didn't handle that money right. In fact, uh, he even took away the little bit of money from the, the guy who messed up and gave it to the one who is the most successful. And so what we want to talk a little bit about today is that if you can't properly handle money, finances, or blessings from the Lord, it can limit the extent to which the Lord is able to bless you. Um, and Julie and I are just prime examples of this. Uh, and uh, in a second, I'm going to have Julie talk to you for a minute. And I'm super excited because I love hearing my wife speak. And I can almost never get her to speak with me. And so uh, she's just, she's fun to listen to. She's super funny most of the time, half the time unintentionally. But she does great. I'm excited to hear her. And I know uh, that it's going to be great because of uh, how, what a crazy morning we had this morning that I know something good has got to be in store. Otherwise, I, we locked our keys in our house and then we got here and all sorts of crazy stuff. but couldn't get her sermon printed. Why is everybody, she said, I locked my keys in the house. She's throwing me under the, I guess technically I locked my keys in the house, but it wouldn't have been a deal, an issue if she hadn't misplaced her keys. So, <laughs> sorry, no more throwing each other. Just kidding. Um, but uh, Julie is going to just share a little bit of our testimony, why Julie and I are so passionate um, about finances, about helping people win with their finances. So, uh, my beautiful wife. Thank you. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> yeah, he's, <clears throat> excuse me. He's right. I don't like talking in front of people. Can you hear me okay? <clears throat> I had gum for my throat. Okay. So I, when we decided to speak on finances, um, I was trying to put together a sermon and gosh, bless them for trying to put it together a sermon because I'm like, I don't know how to put together a sermon. <laughs> I was like overwhelmed. I'm like, okay. I'm like, what I can do is give our testimony because um, I did want to help him with this sermon, uh, teaching, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I did not, um, I didn't know how. <laughs> so I'm like, I can do, I can give a testimony. Anyways, so, okay. So let's see. Where do we been? Um, our background. A lot of people come to us for financial advice, and a lot of people sometimes feel intimidated 
because, you know, they think we've, like, had it all together. And um, while we do have, you know, it pretty, we have it together pretty well now, we didn't at the beginning. And so we do have a past. Everybody has a past. But um, so I wanted to share where we started when Joshua and I got married, uh, even before we got married. We had debt. Um, we were pretty much, let's see, we charged our wedding, our, our honeymoon. Um, so going into marriage, we were in debt. We were probably, oh gosh, I don't even know, um, maybe like about $15,000 in debt just starting out. And we were living in Texas at the time. And we moved, right after we got married, we moved to Denver. And let's see. Um, Joshua, can I tell him where, where you and your buddies got a job at? Okay, so for some reason, him and a couple of his buddies got a job at um, Wendy's. Nothing against having a fast food job. Um, the only downside with this fast food job was the fact that I already had my college degree. And Oh, the only reason I got this job was because my buddies were working there. I was too lazy to go get, use my degree. I just, sorry. Well, we... He, he needed something quick, you know, and I, I, I give him props for having a job while looking for a job. So he had that job for maybe less than a year and then got hired on at um, IBM, making a little bit more money. And um, 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 so, okay, okay, so, oh gosh, I lost my train of thought. Um, Okay, so we were horrible with our money. We were uh, charging, you know, we would go out to eat and we'd charge, like we'd go to expensive dinners and we'd charge, charge it. We, we didn't have any money. You know, we were, uh, I was working a minimum wage job and then he was working a minimum wage job. But then he got um, his job at IBM. But basically our income wasn't high at all. Um, you know, two years into our marriage, we were $27,000 in debt. We basically kept... Uh, being stupid. Well, one of the things we did was we consolidated all of our credit cards um, into one loan, and then we charged up our other credit cards. So we were uh, basically spending more than we made. You know, we were, and we were just. It was a lot of a lot of it was just a lack of knowledge and a lack of uh, and stupidity, I guess you could say. But um, I I knew we needed to do something when we had to pay our rent on our credit card. I'm like, when that happened, I'm like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> we need to do something. So at church in Denver, uh, Miss P mentioned that we went to a Thrive Church in Denver, and they were offering the FPU class. FPU, if you don't aren't familiar with it, it's Financial Peace University with Dave Ramsey. And it's we took a 13-week course. Wait, wait, let me back up. Oh, okay. So it's offered at church. And then I was familiar with it because I took a couple of classes with my dad when I was like 17 or 18. And so I'm like, oh, maybe we should take FPU. Look at the Lord dropping that in our lap, you know, like, hello, take FPU because you can't handle your money and I can't bless you with more. So I approached Joshua with it. This is a funny story. So I approached Joshua. I said, there's this class that they are offering, this financial class that they are offering at church, and I think we should take it. I'm familiar with it. Um, would you be willing to take it? It's on Sunday night, and at 
Thrive Church, they had, they didn't have Sunday service like we have here. They had like life groups, lift groups, small groups, that sort of thing. And they had it on Sunday night. And his comment to me was, well, it better not interfere with my football. <laughs> and so, which is funny because we ended up taking the class and he was hooked like right away. And he became the teacher's pet, the hugest uh, financial nerd um, of that class. And so once we took that, um, we t- took that at the beginning of F- uh, beginning of 2012. We got married in 2010, so we took that at the beginning of 2012. And um, one of the one of the things we did this class helped us as a married couple was it helped us to get on the same page with our finances. And I can't express that enough. That if you are married, it's so important for you to get on the same page with your spouse. Um, Because one of the leading causes of divorce, I don't know if it's the number one cause of divorce, but uh, is money issues. You know, if you're not on the same page, then there's arguments, you know, (laughs) you know, so you don't want to end up in divorce. Uh, So get on the same page with your money. Um, And one of the encouraging things that we saw with one of our classes that we taught maybe a couple of years ago was that this couple came through the class and they were like, this class saved our marriage because we were able to get on the same page. So I just had to point that out. Um, single people, of course, we don't leave single people out. There's, we encourage them to seek out an accountability partner and stuff, and uh, they highlight singles also. So if you're single, you know, you can um, get an accountability partner and, and also win with money. Um, let's see. So to say, oh, that's kind of like our background. You know, we were horrible with money. We took the FPU class. We got on the same page. And seriously, like, we took it at the beginning of 2012, and Josh got his first raise making, like, you were making, what, like $12 an hour, and he got, was started to make, like, $20 an hour um, in May of 2012. So it was, like, just a couple months after we started the FPU class and we started to get on the same page and we started to manage our money right. And God was able to, he already like, he's like, he's ready to like open up, you know, just pour out that blessing. And we just had to learn to handle our money the right way and get headed in the right direction. So, um, to say all that, man, I don't follow my notes very well to say all that. I was, uh, God's not able to give us more, he wasn't able to give us more because we weren't handling our money right. Um, and because we started handling our money by biblical wisdom, God saw that we were serious and started to give us more to handle. Um, so I think that's where I'm transitioning over to Joshua. Okay, so when we originally sat down and did our like debt snowball, basically our our timeline of how long it would take us to pay off our debt, which was around $27,000. It was going to take us three years, and and it ended up taking us 14 months, so like half the time because, yeah, so, and and because I also got a raise at my job. I was, I went from like, I don't know, $12 to $17 or something, so God like immediately like started blessing us, and we're like, woohoo, and it's funny because that year... The year we paid off our debt, which was 2013, we moved here. But we it's like we couldn't come over here until we got rid of that, that chain that was holding us back, you know, over there. 
And um, so we were able to pay off her debt and then come over here debt-free and be here for ministry and all you lovely people. <laughs> so hopefully I didn't do too terrible of a job of that. But um, I will hand it back over to Joshua. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent job. Yeah, move your notes so I can see mine. Just kidding. But, uh, you know, it was cool because uh, Julie and I had determined in our hearts that we were going to pay off our debt, even if it took us three, four years of just slaving away at minimum wage. And I feel like uh, after we made that decision, God's like, okay, they're ready now. And then he poured that blessing on us. And uh, like she said, and half the time we were planning, we had that debt all paid off. And that was 2012. 2013 is when we paid it off. But to this day, Julie and I are 100% debt-free. We have no debt of any kind, no credit cards, no car payments, no furniture. We do have our mortgage, which will be paid off in like less than 10 years, I think. Um, but that's it. Uh, we just, Julie and I just we made up our minds that we were not going to use debt. If uh, if we couldn't pay cash for it, we, it, it wasn't worth buying. And so uh, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that. I want to get uh, into my lesson real quick. Um, and so, uh, the, the, something I have written down here is that, you know, many people simply think that, uh, if they won the lottery or if their rich uncle left them a million dollars or something, it would fix all of their financial issues. Um, but there's been actually research done on this. Uh, there was a study done by the National Endowment for Financial Education, and it shows just the opposite. It shows that 70% of people who had unexpectedly come into large sums of money, you know, an inheritance, uh, uh, lottery or whatever, 70% of them, so that's the majority of these people, end up completely broke within seven years. So it doesn't fix their life. The majority of people, it doesn't fix your life when you have, like, that big pile of money dumped on your lap. You end up even worse off than you were before. Uh, here's something else interesting. Uh, 78% of NFL players, according to a 2009 study by Sports Illustrated, 78% of NFL players are completely bankrupt within 12 years of, of retirement. Which is just nuts to me, you know. Because NFL players, you know, in order to play, most of them go to college, so they're not stupid people. And they make plenty of money, but they end up within uh, almost 80% are completely bankrupt within 12 years of retirement which is just nuts to me. And then something a, a little maybe closer to home for us, I know a, a lot of people get big tax refunds at the first of every year. Uh, but how many of us, you know, we get our tax refund, what, in February, maybe April, and within a couple of weeks it's all gone? It, the whole thing's gone, yeah. And, you know, it's not that we're getting that, you know, a few extra thousand dollars at the beginning of the year doesn't fix our problems because we don't know how to properly handle it. So the answer to your financial problems is not going to be some unexpected windfall or, or money raining down from heaven. It, and that's because God cannot bless you with more money if you'll foolishly handle it because we've seen from these studies that you'll end up even worse off than you were before. You'll end up just bankrupt if you get this money dropped in your lap and you don't know what to do it, how to handle it. So what I want to talk to us today is, well, if that's the case, then how do we handle money biblically? How do we handle money biblically? 
And the first thing, uh, and I think it's on your handout, is that we need to get out of debt. The first way to handle money biblically is to get out of debt. Um, uh, Proverbs 22.7, you can flip over there if you want. Proverbs 22.7. Oh, they got it on the screen there too. Proverbs 22, verse 7. I'll give you a second since I hear some pages turning. A lot of my scriptures today are, are going to be out of out of the book of Proverbs because uh, Proverbs was written by Solomon, who's known as the wisest man who ever lived. And so he's just got all sorts of wisdom throughout this entire book on how to handle money the way God would have us handle it. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 7, uh, and it says... The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. So here's the Bible telling us, uh, you know, the word slave is, is pretty much not a positive word. So it's not saying that uh, it's a positive thing to be in debt. It's saying you're literally a slave to the lender, to the one who's lent you the money. Um, and this is what the Bible has to say, but... I wanted to see, you know, what natural wisdom says as well. And so I looked up a study. Uh, there's a, a group of people called the Forbes 400, and they're uh, the 400 richest people in North America. And uh, something cool about them is that they're 67% first-generation rich. So almost 7 out of 10 of them were born poor and work their way up to be the 400 richest people in the country. So that kind of messes with our uh, some of our thinking that maybe all rich people inherit their money or, or they're all famous, you know, whatever. These people, six, seven out of ten of them, were born poor and became rich. So they, they interviewed these people, and they said, uh, well, what's the secret to becoming wealthy since you all started with nothing and now you're the richest people in the country? Seventy-five percent of those 400 uh, richest people said that the number one key to becoming wealthy is to get out of debt and stay out of debt. You have to get out of debt and stay out of debt. And so that's kind of the, uh, the world lining up with the Bible's already told us. The Bible's very similar. Whenever the Bible mentions debt, it is always in a negative context. The Bible does not have anything positive ever one time to say about debt. It's always negative. So while I don't think it's a sin to go into debt, I also don't think it's a smart thing. And we'll get into that a little bit more in, in a few minutes. So uh, how do you get out of debt then? How would you get out of debt if you've, just, if you've made up your mind that you want to get out of debt? Uh, the first thing, and this is straight from Dave Ramsey, he says that you need to have plastic surgery. <laughs> Open up your wallet. Find all of your credit cards and cut them up and throw them in the trash because you have to quit borrowing money. You're never going to get out of that hole of debt by digging. If you're digging, you're just digging deeper. You're not working your way out. So quit borrowing money. And just to be clear, debt is anything that you have payments on. Like I mentioned earlier, if you can't pay cash for it, then you can't afford it. So whether that be student loans 90 days, same as cash. Uh, my personal pet peeve is the car payment because cars go down in value. 
So you're literally paying every month for an asset that's depreciating. It goes down every single month. They said uh, um, there's a statistic that says, you know, buying a brand new car is the uh, the depreciation is so bad that it's the equivalent of every week on Monday for three years throwing a hundred dollar bill out the window. That's how much they go down in three years. You're losing a hundred dollars a week. Uh, and just to to see the reason that we want to get rid of it, the average car payment uh, is four hundred and seventy eight dollars, four hundred seventy eight dollars a month. If you took that same four hundred and seventy eight dollars and stuck it just in a regular uh, old mutual fund from age 30 to age 70 when you're ready to retire, by the time you retire, that car payment would be worth $5 million. And that's why I'm so... So your choices are $5 million at retirement or losing $100 a week. That's why I hate car payments so much, and I... Anytime people need help with their money, the first thing I try to get them to get rid of is that car payment because it's just sucking the life out of you. It's like you can't get ahead when you're throwing $100 a week. And that $100 a week is a depreciation. That's not counting your um, car payment, which is, you know, 478 a month. So along those lines, if you if you want to avoid debt, there's going to be times that you won't be able to do things that you really, 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 really want to do. You're going to have to learn how to say no. Because essentially debt is the sophisticated adult version of your four-year-old throwing a tantrum in the grocery store because they want you to buy candy or toys. Uh, And I am learning this more and more because like my mom said, I've got three boys and they're getting to be the age now where they uh, love going down the toy aisle and they just want everything. And we're training them, you know, you don't get something just because you're cute, you know. We've uh, <laughs> Julie likes to, we're trying to train them that you have to work in order to have this, to get money to buy things. So what, what Julie has been doing is she, uh, uh, at the end of the month, whenever we take our, uh, our, our uh, cans into the recycling bin, she'll have our oldest son help her go over to the recycling center and turn in our, our cans, and then she gives him, you know, five or ten bucks from turning in the cans. Okay, now you've earned your money. Now you get to, we're going to tie the church, give an offering uh, in children's church, and you're, we're going to want you to save a little bit of this. And then now you've with the rest of that money, you can go uh, and buy yourself a toy. And he gets so excited because he's buying a toy with money that he has. So uh, it's cool. It's something we're, we're getting ready to learn. Um, but uh, you have to learn to say no. And let's flip over to uh, Hebrews 12.11. Um, and I forgot to tell you my title today. Uh, Julie's, uh, Julie's title was uh, Winning in Your Finances. And uh, my title, which I, I thought sounded more fun, was A Peaceful Harvest of Righteousness. A peaceful harvest of righteousness. Um, And uh, the reason I said this is because doesn't doesn't a peaceful harvest of righteousness, doesn't that sound like something we all might be interested in? And uh, does anybody does anybody know the way that we would get this peaceful harvest of righteousness? Uh, Maybe we could we could pray or or read our Bibles or or worship or go to church. 
Those all sounds like ways that you might receive a peaceful harvest of righteousness, doesn't it? Um, well, actually, uh, and they they kind of cheated there. They have the scripture on the screen. But this scripture tells us the real, true, biblical way that you get this peaceful harvest of righteousness. And it says, Hebrews 12, oops, I flipped my page. Hebrews 12, verse 11, it says, No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living or righteousness for those who are trained in this way. So the only way you're going to get this peaceful harvest of righteousness in your life is if you learn to be disciplined. You learn how to say no to yourself. You have to learn to say no. And and just to really illustrate this point, to wrap up this point and to lead into my next point, uh, I'm actually going to ask my my old friend uh, Steve Martin to lend us a hand. So if the if the uh, if the team could play this uh, this clip I've got for us here. I just can't get these numbers to add up. It's like we're never going to get out of this hole. Credit card debt? Does it ever end? <laughs> Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. Oh, let me see that. If you don't have any money, you should not buy anything. Hmm, sounds interesting. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I tell you where and how in Chapter 3. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. Now I'm really confused. It's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have the money? Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? No. You make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before you have the money? No. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. <laughs> the advice is priceless, and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. <laughs> so get out of debt now. Write for your free copy of Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. And if you order now, you'll also receive Seriously. If you don't have the money, don't buy it. Along with a 12-month subscription to Stop Buying Stuff magazine. So order today. So, uh, I just found that clip on the Internet, and it really illustrated the point I'm trying to make today. So um, that leads me right in to my next point here on your on your thing. Number two, it says, act your wage. And what this simply means is that your income must be more than your outgo. You cannot continuously spend more than you make. 
and I wrote here on my paper, you know, this isn't Congress. This is the real world. If we consistently spend more than we make, we're going to end up bankrupt. Uh, let's flip over real quick to, to Proverbs 21, verse, uh, and we'll look at verse 20 here. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 20. And like I said, there's so many scriptures in the book of Proverbs that just that really illustrate this point. Um, And this verse says, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Fools spend whatever they get. I love the book of Proverbs because uh, he doesn't. Hold back. If he thinks something's not smart, he'll say that it's stupid. He'll say that that you're a fool. Uh, and really, it is. If you consistently spend everything you get, you're simply a fool. And that's straight from King Solomon. So when we get to heaven, you can take it up with him. Um, but what we need to do instead is that we need to be to learn to be content uh, through Jesus. Uh, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Uh, is Philippians 4.13. And it's actually one I've been teaching my son. I've been trying to teach him the, the, the Bible. But this verse, probably, probably a good part of us could quote it. It says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Um, but if you read that entire passage, it gives a little bit more context to this verse. Because a lot of times people read this verse and they're thinking, you know, you know uh, I, I used to have a friend who lifted weights and he'd be like, oh, I can do all things who can give me strength. And he's like, Jesus is going to help me put up this this weight that weighs twice as much as me. And he, it never worked for him. Never worked for him. But he, bless his heart, he tried. But that's how most people, I think, think of in the context of this scripture. But uh, if you look, um, I'll just read it to us uh, for time's sake. Philippians 4, uh, we'll end up in verse 13. But verse 11, uh, it says, uh, not that I was ever in need. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. So he's, he knows the secret to, to having enough, and he knows the secret to, to, you know, when he's still trying to work it out. And the secret, he says here in verse 13, is, for I can do everything with, uh, through Christ who gives me strength. So the way we learn to be content as we, Find our contentment in Jesus rather than uh, in things. Um, and like I said earlier, getting a huge raise isn't always the answer. Because you can't out-earn stupid decisions, just like those NFL players. You, you know, you, sometimes you see on the news the stupid decisions, stuff they've bought. I saw one of them uh, showed up uh, at practice in a Brinks truck because he thought he was going to get a new contract. <laughs> so, like, they just spend their money on the stupidest things. It doesn't matter how much money you're making if you're just going to spend it on stupid stuff. And I wrote here, it's stupid to spend money to buy things you don't need to impress people you don't like. So we got to be content. And your rule of thumb is if you're broke friends, because who knows, most of our friends are the ones living in debt up to their eyeballs. If your broke friends are making fun of you, then you're on the right track. That's how you can tell if you're on the right financial plan or not. Uh, 
one more scripture to really drive this point home is uh, in First Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six. And it, uh, I'll read it to us here. Here, a couple pages still turning. It says uh, in verse number six. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. So true biblical wealth is being content in God. It says being uh, godliness with contentment. That's that's where our true wealth is. Um, and let's look at my third point here. Uh, number three is get on a budget. Get on a budget. This is probably uh, the most important practical thing that, that we could write is that you need to get on a budget. Something that uh, Dave Ramsey always says is uh, if you got hired by a company called You Incorporated and you were in charge of managing money for You Incorporated the same way that you manage money for yourself, would you hire or fire yourself? Uh and I, I know for me and Julie, for sure, we wouldn't have lasted two days. We'd have been fired during the, the onboarding or, what, or the, uh, the training at the beginning. They'd have fired us right there if we were in charge of And that's why we learned how to manage our money now because we're, we're confident in our money-managing abilities and we love helping people with their money. That's why we're always teaching this. But it's just like uh, the parable of the talents we read to start this out with. Uh, if you can't be trusted with the little that you have now, then you'll never be trusted with more. Um, and then let's look here real quick at Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, uh, Jul- uh, uh, Jesus told a story that tells the same thing. And th- this is biblical finance. This is, it's a lot of it's the same type of stuff you would hear uh, maybe at a, a finance class at school or something, or even, you know, sometimes you'll see finance programs on TV, but I want to show you that most of this, at least the stuff we're teaching here, is all found in the Bible as well. This is not just Susie Orman or Dave Ramsey or whoever. This is how it's written out for us in the Bible. Luke chapter 14, let's uh, read this real quick. Uh, In verse 28, Jesus said, don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it. That's just like we were seeing earlier. You know, you have to have the money before you start, uh, or, or you're not going to be able to finish it. It says, otherwise, uh, verse 29, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. So once again, this is kind of making fun of the calling them foolish or people or whatever, people who don't handle their money the way they're supposed to. It says everybody's going to laugh at you if you start these big things and you didn't plan ahead and you aren't able to finish them. And so what you need to do is every month, starting today, from now for the rest of your life, you need to make a written budget with your spouse if you're married and if you're single, do a budget with an accountability partner to help you stay on track. But you don't only need to write the budget, you need to stick to the budget. Uh, um, and something I, and Julie hit on it earlier, but the 
for the married couples, the most important thing is that you need to do it with your spouse. It is never, ever, ever acceptable for the husband to say, well, my wife handles the budget. I just give her the money and, and she pays the bills. And, and vice versa, the wife can never say, well, my husband handles the money. I don't know what's going on. The husband and wives need to be equally involved in this or you'll never win with money. If you've got one person that has no idea what, how, uh, how much they make or how much this is or that is or, you know, well, you know, they, she went out and got a, out a 401k loan to, to pay off this or this or whatever, and you don't talk to it with your spouse, then you will never win with money. Because you have to be on the same page. The most important thing out of all of this, I think, is probably being on the same page with your spouse. Um, you know, you, then at least if you decide you're going to run credit, balls, credit cards up to your eyeballs, at least you're doing it together rather than one of you hiding it behind the other one's back. But ideally, you would be working together to pay off your debt. And for the single people, find an accountability partner that's going to say, hey, maybe we should go this way. And and Julie and I always say that we love helping people out. So if you need an accountability partner, come talk to us and we'll help you out. So uh, make that written budget and stick to it. And the reason we're uh, getting out of debt and we're getting on a budget is my fourth point here, because we want to save money. Save money. And... Uh, We'll look back at Proverbs 21.20. I, I read it a minute ago. Uh, so I'll read it again to us. You don't have to turn it there. But I'm reading it in a, a different translation just to show you. Uh, and verse, in the NIV it says, The wise store up choice food and olive oil. So they're storing it up, but fools gulp theirs down. So it says if you save up, you know, uh, in, the, in this instance it says food and olive oil, but, you know, nowadays we don't have a, a need to have a cupboard full of, of olive oil, maybe, but but we save up money. It says, but fools gulp down all of theirs. And there, uh, I'll go through these real quick, but there's three main reasons that we save. Uh, the number one reason that we would save is for emergencies. I saw a study not too long ago from uh, bankrate.com, and it showed that 63% of Americans could not handle even a $500 unexpected bill. And $500, maybe to some people it sounds like a lot, maybe to some others not so much. But in the big scheme of things, $500 is not that big of a deal. And the majority of Americans, 63%, could not handle a $500 unexpected bill. It would just completely derail their entire, you know, their entire life at that time. So what we want to do is start by saving $1,000 so that if this, uh, if this uh, $500 event comes, you can handle it because you've got $1,000 saved. And I've heard some people say, well, maybe $1,000 isn't enough. Maybe I need to save more than $1,000. But we've already established that the majority of you couldn't even handle a $500 uh, emergency. So I think $1,000 is a good starting spot. And this, this is simply to help you, uh, as you're working your way out of debt, you've got that $1,000 and you're not tempted to run up the credit card when you have that $500 emergency because you've got $1,000 sitting there. You don't want to go back into debt as you're trying to work your way out. And uh, after we get out of debt and everything, we're going to go back and, and take this, this $1,000 and we're going to bump it up 
to three to six months of expenses. Uh, and that's, you know, that's where you're really a little bit more secure. But start with that $1,000. And something I wrote down here is something that happened in Julie in my life. And you probably, some of you have probably heard me tell the story. But uh, right after uh, Julie and I started this financial peace program back in uh, 2012, um, I was driving home from work one day. And I got a flat tire. And we lived in Denver at the time. And so, of course, it was snowy and muddy and wet and raining and super freezing cold. And so I pull over. Uh, we had just recently saved our $1,000. And I, I'm not very mechanical at all. So if it takes whatever it takes a normal person to change a tire, like multiply that by like five is how long it takes me to change a tire. Uh, and so I'm out there. Not having the best of day, and as I'm in the process of changing this time, I'm like, oh, now i got to figure out how to pay for it, and I'm getting muddy and wet, and cars are slinging snow and mud on me as they're going down the road. But about halfway through getting that tire changed, it struck me, hey, we've got $1,000 in the bank. I can just go to the tire store and buy tires. And so for the first time in our lives, uh, it still stunk that I had to change a tire and that I was covered in mud and snow and sleet. But I drove, I got the little donut on there. I drove straight to the tire store and paid cash to get tires put on the car. Uh, and uh, it was the first time in my life that I paid cash for what some would consider a major purchase. Because previously I would have done, they always have the 90 days same as cash, which we'll talk about in a second. Or they have like you'll put it on the credit card or whatever. But it was it was a relief that is because most of the time when people have an emergency they have the emergency which is the tire or whatever, and then they also have a financial emergency. In this case, it cut our emergencies in half because all I had was the emergency of trying to figure out how to loosen lug nuts when you sit on a computer all day. But that, uh, the second reason that we would save other than emergencies is that we want to be able to pay cash for things. Um, something kind of interesting uh, uh, is that McDonald's did a study, and they found that people spend 47% more when they use their debit or credit card than when they spend cash. And that's why I, uh, some, some of us are old enough to remember back before uh, restaurants took uh, cards, you still had to pay cash everywhere, and they did. The reason they did it because it, it cost the restaurants money to accept cards, and so McDonald's held off for a long time. They're like, well, we're just going to keep taking cash because because uh, we don't have to pay that percentage off the top to, to Visa or whatever. What they ended up doing was they did a study, they did a test in a few of their stores, and they found out that when people use a card instead of cash, they spend forty seven percent more, and so. They decided, you know what, we'll pay, we'll gladly pay a 2 or 3% fee to Visa if it means that our average orders are going to be 47% larger. And so that's just something to think about. That's why a lot of times for me and Julie, uh, we just use cash for all of our groceries and our food. At the beginning of the month, we go to the bank, figure out how much we're going to spend for food that month, and get cash out, and then we just use that for the rest of the month. And that's one way to help you stay on budget, by the way, too, is if you've got cash, if you've got cash in your wallet and you've got, you know, if you've got $20 to last you the rest of the week or whatever, 
and you need milk and, and stuff for, or whatever, you're probably not going to go out and spend $25 at McDonald's. Uh, so that's what Julie and I do. It's worked for, really well for us. And the other thing is that uh, cash equals deals. Uh, something else Julie and I did is that uh, when we first moved here, we didn't have any furniture for our house. So we wanted to uh, buy a bedroom and living room furniture for our new place. And so what we did was we saved up. Uh, we've determined that we wanted that we want everything we wanted we would pay $1600 for. So we saved up for a few months, saved up that $1600 and uh we uh went into Ashley Furniture and we found all the stuff we wanted and everything that we wanted uh total added up to well over $2000. Julie said she thinks it might have been $2500 uh, which was our bedroom and our living room furniture. Um but when we walked in with cash we told uh, the salesman, we like, hey, I've got this much cash. This is what I want. You can give it to me, or I'm just going to go to the other uh, furniture store across town. And he's like, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. That's like almost $1,000 off. But what he ended up, he went and talked to his boss. And after a while, they were back there wheeling and dealing and, and, and all, talking. They, he came out, and the boss came out and talked to us. He's like, you know what? I, I can do that for you. Yeah, so... $2,500 worth of furniture, including delivery, for $1,600. And and as we were leaving, the original salesman uh, that we were talking to, he's like, he's like, I don't know how you did that to my boss, because he's like, I don't even think we're going to make money on it now. But that's because cash gets you better deals. When you when you're like, well, I'll do the payment plan or whatever, they don't care. You'll pay whatever. But when you've got cash and you're waving $1,600 bills in front of their face, it speaks more. And that uh, that 90 days same as cash is such a huge ripoff. Because I looked up some of the numbers on that, and it says that 80% of people don't pay it off within 90 days. And if you don't pay it off in 90 days, it turns into anywhere from a 24 to a 38% loan. And not only that, it's got a prepayment penalty. So you've got a 38% loan here, and you decide that you want to get out of debt. They're going to charge you a penalty for paying it off early. The worst type of loan you can get just about is these 90 days same as cash. And I, and I spoke about it earlier, uh, how Julie and I just pay cash for cars. And some people think, well, that's impossible. Let me just give you one scenario for how that might work out for you. We've already determined that the average car payment is $478. If you take that $478, which you're already paying, stick it in a cookie jar for 10 months. After 10 months, you've got nearly $5,000. So you take that $5,000, buy yourself a $5,000 car. It's not the nicest car, but it's not going to break down on the way to work for $5,000. Drive that for 10 months while you save that Five hundred dollars or four seventy-eight for ten more months. After ten more months, you trade in your five thousand-dollar car, which won't depreciate that much in ten months. And now you've paid cash for a ten thousand-dollar car, which is a lot nicer car. But what if you wanted a fifteen thousand-dollar car? Do the same thing. Save that five hundred-dollar car payment for ten more months. Trade in your ten thousand-dollar car, and you've paid cash for a fifteen thousand-dollar car in thirty months. And most car loans are well longer than 30 months. I think I've seen some of them. The average car loan, I think, is 60 months. So instead of uh, 
paying $500 for 60 months, you've paid $500 for 30 months. And I've even seen some of them now, some car loans now are like 84 months, which is just ridiculous. People are paying longer on their cars than than intelligent people would pay on their houses. And it's going down in value the whole time. So we pay cash for things. And then the last thing we want to save for is we want to invest. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. Proverbs 13. And what it says here, it says, Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren. But the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. So it says a good person leaves an inheritance for their grandchildren. But if you're in debt your whole life and you have nothing left, there's no way that you're going to have anything left over to leave to your grandchildren. If you're if you're scraping by, uh, I'm thinking about the the people that uh, taught FPU the first, uh, financial piece the first time Julie and I went through. It was so interesting to see the, the contrasting stories of their parents. Like her parents, uh, the wife's uh, parents, had lived within their means and saved their whole life. And so they were able to retire, uh, like kind of like a dentist. They retired uh, relatively uh, young, you know, in their 60s. And they were able to live and enjoy that money. Whereas his parents, the husband's parents, had spent everything they had their whole life and uh when they were working well into their 70s, in fact, I think I heard recently that he had maybe passed away, the the father, and he worked till the day he died. He had no choice. The day he quit working would be the day he quit eating rather than enjoying his senior years. That's why it's really important for us to save this money. Uh, something I wrote down here is that uh, if you take $100 a month, which some people spend that on eating out or or on Starbucks, and stick it in a mutual fund from 30 to 70. By the time you reach age 70, you'll have $1.1 million. And so there's no reason for people to, you know, maybe a million dollars isn't as much today as it used to be, but at least you won't be begging out in front of food for less if you got a million dollars at retirement. It's not it's not that difficult. you just got to learn how to be disciplined so you can have that Peaceful harvest of righteousness we were talking about. And then uh, the last thing I want to talk about uh, today for how we biblically handle money, and this is a big one, is that we need to give. We need to give. Because being able to give whenever you want, whatever you want, without worrying, is some of the most fun that you'll ever have with money. Um. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it says, Remember the words of our Lord Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And I've sometimes I've wondered about this verse. They're like, yeah, it's more blessed to give than to receive. But then I, as I got to thinking about it, I've been on both sides of that equation. I've been on sides where I didn't have enough money to make it till my next paycheck, and I needed someone to be able to give me something so that I could eat that week. Uh, and then I've also been on the other side of the equation, which is where I'm at now, where I've seen someone that's struggling, and I'm able to give them and help them out. And I would so much rather have enough money that I can help someone else out 
than relying on someone else to help me. Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so uh, as I get ready to kind of wrap it up here, finance is really probably 20% knowledge, but 80% behavior. If you don't do these things, then they're not going to work for you. Uh, James 1.22 says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. And there's that word fooling again. This process is more like a, a crock pot than a microwave. So you got to just stay along for the ride. It's not like some of these numbers I were giving you were investing from age 30 to 70. So for the young people, start as soon as you can. And for some of us that are a little bit older, it's not too late. Get going. But it's not something that's going to, it's not one of these quick, rich, uh, get quick, rich schemes. It's a, Dave Ramsey calls it the get rich, slow scheme. Because it takes a while. But it works. Galatians 6 9 says, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And so uh, I'll have Julie come back up here. In fact, Katie Bray can come up too if she wants. Um, this is just a, a, a synopsis of some of the stuff that you would learn in this Financial Peace University class that we offer here at church. Um, and Julie's going to tell you a little bit more about that. This class, we're going to start it probably in January sometime. Um, and it teaches all of this stuff, but in a lot more detail. And that's how Julie and I have really learned how to handle our money. Let me have you talk to her real quick. Uh, I can't encourage you enough to take this class if you haven't. You can even come sit in in the first class for free. It does cost, but it's an investment in your financial life. So I really encourage you to um, take this class. Like Joshua said, we're going to try to start. We have a tentative date of January 15th. We're going to have it on Wednesdays um, at 6.30. So right before service, we'll have it separate from the main service, um, probably in victory. We'll work all that out. Um, but it is $109. That's per couple or if you have like a, like a father-son or, you know, mother-son, whatever, that wants to take it, y'all can take it together. And that is about, how many weeks is that, do we say? It's about like eight or ten weeks from now. So you know about it now. So you could start saving if you think, you know, $100, $109 is a lot. You can start putting 10 to $15 um, a week, sacrificing that Del Taco or that Starbucks, and putting it in an envelope and say, okay, this is my financial peace money because it is such a good investment. We, Joshua and I can just, we just rave about it, you know. So um, if you are interested, I do have, I'm going to send this sign-up sheet around. Fill out your name and email, and we can send you a link to sign up. Or you can go to hdwc.org slash FPU. Um, and we're, of course, available for any questions. That $109 includes a lifetime membership, so you can take it as many times as you want, which I encourage also, if you have been through the class, you can take it again for free um, because you learn something new like every time. Nadine can. <laughs> um, she's been through it. Um, and so let's see. Um, okay, so I'll go ahead and pass that around. Pass that out. Um, so, yeah, I encourage you to invest in your future you know we want to leave an inheritance to our children's children and we um it's it's possible i never thought it would be possible you know growing up 
we thought we had to build our credit score and building your credit score is just more debt, more debt, more debt. It's not any, you're not saving any money. You're just throwing away your money. And so it's, it's possible to retire comfortably, you know, to live, to live well and to give, you know, that's one of the things Joshua and I really want to do is just be able to give like, Oh, they need a new car. You can give like $5,000 for a starter car or something. So we just, um, um, take the class, ask us about any questions and, oh yeah, that's what I was going to say. That $109 includes lifetime membership it, and it also includes materials and stuff. So, so yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and, uh, she mentioned earlier that it was 13 weeks, but it's actually, since then it's 10 weeks. When Julie and I took it several years ago, or now nine weeks, when we took it, it was 13 weeks, but now it's only nine weeks, the current class, so that you're done in 90 days. Um, and like she said, that $109, it may seem like a lot, but part of winning with money is learning how to sacrifice. And so sacrificing to take that first step and take the class is the first step for a lot of people to be winning with money. Um, that's all we've got for right now. If you want, you can all stand up. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.